Okay. My son said, thank you, Dad. It's hard to be strong right now, but I will try. It's not easy. I sent him uh, Joshua 1.9. He said, the Lord says, right, to be strong and to give good courage. Strong words. Okay, so if you uh, go back, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 14 and 15. And what I'm going to do, I marked my spot from last week. And this is part two of the, the tale of nine kings. So this is the, believe it or not, I had more to this lesson this week. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when you, what happens is when you uh, review your message, you always add something to it. Uh, uh, it's, it's just... Just what happens to the preacher. The Lord keeps putting things on your heart. But this what we have here is 2 Kings 14, 15, and 2 Chronicles chapter 25 to 27. Uh, so uh, it goes back and forth. This, it's just, if you read those, those 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings, they go hand in hand with it. So we're going to focus more on 2 Kings chapter 14 and 15. But uh, I'm going to kind of, if uh, some of you might not have been here last week or re- refresh your mind or some online and say what is he talking about so we're going to do I'm going to go down and just do the outlines for until where we stopped then we will continue on to the rest of this message and of course this is part two of the tale of nine kings and next week I think next week we have to do something else where we pick up two weeks from now on part three of those nine kings interesting that we've been dealing with one king and his name is Amaziah and there's still eight kings left. <laughs> so, let's look at verse 1 in chapter 14. The second year of Joash, the son of Jeho- Jehoash, king of Israel, reigned Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, now, like, this verse is very critical. Look what it says. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord yet. That's a changing point right there. Now, like David, his father. He did according to all things as Joash, his father, did. So, of course, David is his great-great-grandfather here. But he says, like David, his father. said, so David, we have to understand something. Let me, let's pray and we get to this message. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your love and mercy. Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, keep on mentioning Patrick and Rebecca. Give them strength, Lord. Uh, they lost their baby. and they, It's not an easy place to be, and I can't wait to get to them and just give them a big hug, Lord. And just pray for them right now. Keep them strong, Lord, I pray. Help me to teach your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, um, what we see here, um, David, uh, As we, if you look at the word of God, David was a man who did who made many mistakes. Agree? If you look at it, he made many mistakes. David was a man just like me and you. He made mistakes, but there's one thing that he did. He always remembered the Lord. And he, when he went a long time, actually, one of the sins that he had for quite a, some time, he was eating him up. But 
he always confesses sin to the Lord. You know, and even the Lord says, says, says in his word that he was a man after God's own heart. He loved God unconditionally. That's one thing he had. David loved the Lord, and he wanted to do everything for the Lord. And, and right here where we see this king, which is in, from the light of Judah, this king, uh, um, what's his name, Amaziah, he says he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David. So David was a special person here, what he did for the Lord, a man after God's own heart. I hope that you are a person after God's own heart, that you love the Lord, and I believe you are. You're here tonight in the middle of the week, you can do all kinds of things, but your faithfulness, uh, week in and week out, uh, living for the Lord. You know what, I don't want to say, don't know because I'm not God, but there's one thing you that I was, I went to a funeral yesterday. He, of course, is my mother's sister, older sister. But uh, the denomination well, which we went, I'm not going to mention that. But I'm carefully listening to what this guy is saying. And in the back of my mind, I, I look at my wife. I said, "This guy is so is so unbiblical. It's just I want to go over there and teach him a lesson. But I'm going to contain myself and stay here." He's so he's so out of line. Is amazing. You know what? With the people, listen, the people don't know anything. And it's so sad. It's so very sad. You cannot pray somebody to heaven. It's just, you cannot do that. But anyway, let's look at this, this thing here tonight, the tales of nine kings from several points. The point that I gave you last week about King Amaziah is that he was a presumptuous, presumptuous king. I'm not going to elaborate a lot on this, but if you have an outline and you'd like to follow that, my first point is a presumptuous king. Uh, that's what he was. So we uh, go down a little bit to the, our next point. Under that point, uh, consider some of his sins. And the first was a sin of unbelief. And Messiah decided to atta attack Edom and re regain the territory that has been lost. Uh, the venture was, good, was a good one, but the way he went about it, it was definitely wrong. He took a, a census and found he had 300,000 men. But instead of trusting the Lord to use these men, he hired uh, 100,000 uh, mercenaries from Israel to increase his force. So instead of trusting the Lord, what he did is he didn't believe that God could help him. So he went, he went and got men from Israel to go fight those guys. He paid those people to go fight those guys. I tell you what, when we trust, we trust. And trust means trust, isn't it? If I say I trust God, I'm, I'm going to trust God. If I say I trust God and my attitude, my action is totally the opposite, is not trust at all. I don't believe in Him at all. So faith uh, was in number, uh, uh, faith was in, in uh, I don't know what I put here. But anyway, what we see here in Second Kings chapter 14 verse 11 says, But Amaziah would not hear. So he did what he wanted. He didn't believe God enough that God could take care of him. So we come to, a uh, second sin that he had was a sin of idolatry. A sin of idolatry. And uh, we talked about lowering our standards, you know, to a point on which we, we get into idolatry and all types of sin. You see, the children of Israel, here's what happened here. The children of Israel, they were in Egypt for, Egypt, I'm sorry, for about 400 years. One thing they got in Egypt, they got exposed to the gods of Egypt. What do you think was the ten plagues of Egypt? God was showing the children of Israel and also the, um, the, the, the Pharaoh that the gods of Egypt would not ma uh, measure, didn't measure up to him. 
So he, 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 he did, those plagues of Egypt, God came victorious all the time. But there's one thing. When the children of Israel left Egypt and they marched to the promised land, they left Egypt. Egypt never left them. You follow that? The idolatry was there. And they went, when they went to the promised land, they took that. I mean, even before that, when Moses went to, to, to Mount Sinai and he was up there for 40 days, 40 nights, whatever that was, you know, he was up there. And guess what they're doing in the, uh, on the valley? They got all the golds and earrings and stuff and made a uh, calf. And, and if you, uh, uh, how low they came, they began to worship this thing naked. Can you believe that? God's people. Then in the, in the end, and uh, of course they say, is your God? No, God is, sees that. And even the Lord says to, 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 uh, to Moses, your people is sinning against me down there. And of course the conversation between Moses and the Lord when Moses says, no Lord, it's your people. <laughs> but anyway, and they go to the promised land. Where they get there, they bring the gods of Egypt in their hearts. And they have the gods of the nations around them. And it was always a battle. Why? Because they're always lowering their standards. We talked about lowering standards last week and idolatry. When we emerge ourselves in idolatry, we have, we have lowered our standards. With our standard, God. God should be supreme in our lives. When we put something between Him and us, we are lowering our standards. The children of Israel did that. Of course, this king right here with idolatry. So get this, the greatest... Judgment, I said this last week, God can send to people is to let them have their own way. And of course, as many people, book of uh, first chapter of the book of Romans talks about that, when God gives them to the desire of their own hearts. You see, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So get this, I said this last week, get this, the various forms of modern idolatry have, not, have one thing at its core. Remember what I said last week? There were the, the, uh, the various forms of modern idolatry have one thing at, it, at their core, is self. Remember that? I said that last week. So most of the world no longer ex, um, bows, down to, bows down to images. Instead, we worship at the altar of the God of self. The brand of modern idolatry takes various forms. Let me give you some, if you want to fill up that sheet that you have. The worship... We worship at the altar of materialism, which feeds our need to build our egos through the acquisition of more stuff. And you know what? Nothing wrong with being wealthy, nothing wrong with having things, but when we just want stuff and more stuff, and some people have so much stuff that they never use it in the first place. You know, they pile their garages, they pile their cars, they pile their rooms, do you need all that? So that was the first one. The second point, we worship at the altar of our own pride and ego. That was the second point that we went to. And our third point, we analyze uh, 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 mankind through the materialism and the power of science. We talked about the illusion of science last week. And I think I'm getting close to our point. Yes, we are. So finally, and perhaps that's where we're going to start right here, point number four, we stop at point number three. We worship at the altar of self to the exclusion of, of all others and their needs and desires. So this manifests itself in self-indulgence to alcohol, drugs, sex, uh, sexual sin, I'm sorry, and food. The self-control we so desperately need 
is burnt in our in set, uh, in our desire to eat, drink, and medicate more and more. So we resist any effort to get us to the curb of appetites, and we are determined to make ourselves the God of our own lives. We have to be careful with this. This, this has uh, its origin in the Garden of Eden, where Satan tempted Eve to eat of the tree with the words, will, you will be like God. You know one thing today, a lot of people think they are their own gods. They don't need the God of creation. They don't need to go to God's house. They don't need a salvation. They, they say, what, I'm going to, what am I going to church for? What do, you got, what do you got to offer me there? I got people that have said that's, this to me. What do you got to offer me there? Really? We, that's what we come down to? I have to offer you something for you to come to the house of God? People think that they give God a favor if they go to the house of God. If they give a dime or 25 cents or even a nickel, whatever that is to God, they're making God a favor. favor. No, here's the thing. God doesn't really need us. We're the ones who need Him. But they think that God is the one that needs them. Because God would be desperate without them. No, no, it's the opposite. And that's sad they will die without God. Here's the thing. Why many Christians are leaving the house of God, leaving the Bible, leaving the, 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 the righteous living to go and to think that the grass is green and on the other side, and to be, to, they want to be just like them. Listen, why we allow ourselves to be contaminated by them, why we allow them to mold our minds, which should be the opposite. We ought to be the lights of the world. We ought to create thirst on those people so they, they see how much they need God. See, we, need, we live in a world today of so much information and so much stuff. There was a kid that worked with me, a young man that worked with me, and he comes with me, asks me this question about a verse in Deuteronomy, and I said to him, I said, listen, this is nonsense, okay, first of all, because you're taking the whole verse out of context, and you don't even know what you're saying, and the person you got this from doesn't know what he's saying too. I said, what about Jesus and his salvation? Forget about this. I said, you know what you need? You need God's salvation. Are you ready to receive Jesus as your Savior? He goes, oh, I don't have, I don't have time for this. I said, oh, you do, because he came to me and asked me. Let me tell you what you need. You need Jesus in his salvation. Then we talk about this, because you have no clue what I'm going to tell you anyway. I said to him, I said, if you die today, you're 100% sure you're going to heaven? Oh, where he goes again with religion? Said, no, you started. I just want to open your eyes. You see, when we lower our standards, we have to be careful because the standards of the laws are already low. But we Christians, we're not better than they are. But why we lower our standards to, to try to fit with them? Why we lower standards in our churches so they can come in and accommodate them? Also, you know, just come in. Let's give a big group hug here. It's going to be okay. It's not okay, folks. The house of God is a house of prayer. It's a house of, when people come in, they, they do one thing they need to know. The music is different. The preaching is, is to the heart and conviction to the heart. And they need to know there is a God that loves them. Right. And if you lower our standards, there's no standards anymore. We're just going to make everybody feel good. So let's get the comedy, comedy club here. You know, let's, let's just say jokes all, all, the, all the, the whole service so people can laugh and have a good time and say, he in church good. 
No, that's a comedy club. That's not the church. You know, because sometimes we come to church and you walk out, it's like, who that pastor? Man, I think he was, he was studying me all week long because that hit me left and right. Well, it's not the pastor, it's the Lord. Well, sometimes you go, like you sit in the church, you go, oh, that was not for me. I nothing I could take out of that. I had one man one time came to church. I was preaching a message. He came to visit. He was leaving. I mean, right here. He was leaving. He said to me, he said, oh, that was a good message. Thank you. I said, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you. But it was not for me. I, I was expecting something different. I said, okay, did you learn anything? You see, we, we, we have to be careful with that. Listen, because sometimes, you know, we come to the house of God to be a blessing to somebody too and worship the Lord, of course. But sometimes we come and we hit him. We got we got we got hit left and right, and then we go, "Oh goodness, do I need to hear that?" Ooh, that was that was hard. You know, sometimes we need to hear, don't we? But to make the house of God a comedy club, that shouldn't be. That should never be. And I tell you, this thing about music today, these people are fascinated. Listen, music was irrelevant in Bible times. It was the word, the preaching of God's word. Okay, so, where was I? We're going to finish this one today. So, <laughs> so um, all idolatry of self has its core at, the, at three, uh, at three lusts found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2 to 16. Actually, go to John chapter 2, uh, 1 John, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 16. All idolatry comes at that. And it's very, very clear what it says in there. And we say, well, I don't worship idols. Uh, idols come in all different forms, okay? We worship self today. You know, the world says to you and me, you deserve. You work hard all week. Go, have, go enjoy yourself. That's when we get in trouble. Okay, look what it says in 1 John, uh, John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see that? The loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. If we are to escape modern idolatry, we have to admit that is a rampant and, and, and reject it in all forms. It is not of God, but of Satan. And in and it, in, and it I'm sorry, and if we will never... Uh, and we will never find fulfillment in it. This is the great lie, and the same one Satan has been telling since he first lied to Adam and Eve. You're going to be just like God. Why did he listen to God? Listen, when God said, you know what, over the whole garden, you can eat anything, don't touch that tree. You know what happened when she listened to, sa to, to Satan? She lowered her standards. She could have said, you know what, I was told not to touch it. Don't convince me because I'm not going to listen. She lowered her standards and she heard. You know what? Because she gazed and she lost after the fruit, whatever fruit that was. Okay? It's the same thing with us. Though we, listen, we are bombarded every single day. That when you get out of bed, you go out. Whatever you do, we are bombarded with all kinds of stuff in this world. You, you go, first thing in the morning, first thing people with the Bible study starts with Facebook. Some people, that's what they do. Uh, the first thing in the morning, they open their eyes. Oh, let me see how Facebook is doing. Uh, 
and our standards right there. What's more important, Facebook or God's Word? You see? Modern idolatry. Let me see what my friends are doing. They're not your friends. They're your acquaintance. That is where they are. I have so many friends on Facebook, I don't even, never met half of them. You know, people said, oh, I was, I'm going to be a friend of this one. This. I said, oh, do what you want. <laughs> you don't know those people. You know, but they said, you know what? What are you going to do first? Facebook? God's Word. You see, we should not uh, lower our standards. So sadly, we are still falling for it. Even more sadly, when many churches are propagating it in the preaching of the wealth and health and prosperity gospel built on the idol of self-esteem. But we will never find happiness focusing on selves. You know, a lot of preaching today is all about self-esteem. Self-esteem. It's all about feeling good. What about how good of a person you are? What about you deserve this? this. If you listen to these people talking like, listen, what is the church for? It's to preach and proclaim the entire word of God. Some days, yes, you have to preach that. But some days, yes, you have to rebuke too. No, we, not, we don't want, so people, what they do today is this prosperity thing on which we don't say nothing that is harsh because people cannot handle. Or in the last days, the Bible says, people have itchy ears. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. Amen. Talking about this, I mean, even at work today, we have, uh, in my job, we have, I'm not talking about the, all the people like that, but a lot of this new, young generation, you say something, they get all offended and leave. You go, when the world that I had one that's supposed to, supposed to, to, to take care for uh, and, and train, I said something very in a kind way. I was kind of joking with him. He left. They've been asking me for three days already, even today. What did you do? I said, I don't do anything. I just try to teach the kid. My kid, because he's a lot, I'm a lot older. <laughs> but anyway. So anyway. So our hearts and minds must be centered on God and on others. This is why when asked... What is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied. Go to Mark chapter 12, verse 29. You see, we should not lower our standards because when you lower our standards, we are going to get ourselves in trouble. So what is the first and greatest commandment? Look what it says there in Mark 12, 29. And Jesus said to the first in all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One Lord. And I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. You see, idolatry should not fit in the, should not be in the heart of a Christian. God is to be there. It's all our heart is to be devoted to God. You see, well, but I don't worship idols. Well, we do, you don't worship idols, but we worship other things. In today's society, we worship self. Self is the biggest god of the society. And look what it says in verse uh, 31. So the first is love God with our heart, mind, and soul, and everything we got. And the second commandment is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This, there is no other commandment greater than these. You see, this, that's a great commandment. We ought to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. They have, lower, so they have lowered their standards. When we fail this, we have lowered our standards. So when we love the Lord... And others, with everything that is in us, there will be no room in our hearts for idolatry. By the way, a Christian should never idolize the pleasures and the sinful things of this world. Let me put it this way. Okay. 
Did God create a wonderful world? Yes. Full of beauty. People pay all kinds of money to go see, you know, waterfalls and, you know, uh, exotic trees and all kinds of stuff. Yes, you know what? We should say thank you, Lord, for a great creation. I mean, you know, it is amazing uh, what God created, but we have to be careful with the societies out there. So, folks, society is always changing and always changing for the worse. What I mean with that is that society is always changing and moving more and more away from God and away from God's standards. Right. Okay. What's God's standards? When a Christian began to say it's okay to perform abortions, that Christian have lowered their standards. Right. You follow that? That standards have been low down. What about homosexuality? When we begin to agree with that, we, are, we have lowered our standards. Because God doesn't stand for that. God says it's unnatural. Right. See, see, oh, it's okay. They're loving people. You have lowered your standards. You're not, you know what I mean? You're not going to hate the person. We don't do that. But we agree with that sin. I don't agree with it because if I do, I'm lowering my standards. You see, society is always changing, and it's changing for the worse. And they want to shove it in your throat, and you have to accept it at all costs. They don't. You have to accept. No, I don't. Amen. You're lowering your standards. You see, the sad thing is that thousands of Christians have lowered their standards to fit with the decay of society. Instead of changing to be more like Christ, they have lowered their standards and they are becoming more like the world. If I'm a Christian, child of God, been saved, been baptized, the Lord has saved my soul. And church to me is a casual thing, like I go and I feel like, maybe once a year, once a month, make me feel good. I have lowered my standards. I have lowered my standards. I don't obey God, I don't obey myself, I do what I want. You know the Bible says you don't, you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to him. He bought you with the price. You follow that? Oh, in the world, can you go to church all the time? If you understand uh, how much Jesus paid for your sin and what he did for you on the cross, that's not a sacrifice. It is a place you want to be. Before I got saved, I joked about people going to church all the time. But I was blind. I didn't know. But when I got saved and realized what Jesus did for me, I was like, wow, Lord, there's nothing I would do that is actually too much for you. But we lower our standards. Thousands of Christians have lowered their standards. They pick and choose verses out of the Bible, twist it. They, 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 I said, oh, I don't agree with this, I agree with this. No, we take the Bible and we are to take the Bible as the word of God. It's not to pick and choose what we want. We have to take the whole counsel of God. You see, instead of changing to be more like Christ, they, are, they have lowered their standards and are becoming more like the world. So do you wonder why many Christians don't even adventure to the house of God anymore? 
they have lowered their standards. Do you wonder why many Christians have left the fellowship with other Christians in the house of the Lord? They have lowered their standards. Do you wonder why many Christians' uh, conversations or way of life and the way of life are more like the world than they are godly? They, because they have lowered their standards. Do you know why Christians say they love Jesus and do absolutely and do absolutely and live absolutely contrary to what Jesus teaches and commands in His Word? You know why? Because they have lowered their standards. The answer is that they have embraced the decay of society. You know who is hurting in all this? They are. They are. You know who's missing out on the blessings of God? They are. Some of the common, the common uh, words you often hear today is, is they are. Tolerance, acceptance, openness, seeker-friendly, seek don't be inclusive. The idea behind all of these terms is togetherness of being connected on a human level. There's, there's a concern, uh, a concern pushing in the world today of, being, of bringing everyone together under the same umbrella, one world, one society, one church. That's dangerous, folks. That is dangerous. You know, if there's churches that don't preach the Word of God, don't stand about the Word of God, do you want fellowship with those people? There's the heartbeat of the world, and sadly, it is becoming the heartbeat of many Christians in many churches. I just, I just remind you that God did not call His people to be inclusive, but to be exclusive. The fact is, we are called to be vastly different from the world around us. Don't lower your standards to fit the decay of society. Our society is getting worse by the day. Go back 10 years and look 10 years to today. Look at what's going on in our world. Things that were done in closed doors, things that people didn't want to, it's no shame anymore. You see our society? There's no shame anymore. Everything is in style. And, and if you say, oh, just shut your mouth. You know, because, you know, this is freedom. We can do what we want to do. We want you to tell me I'm wrong. You know why? God gave them to their own desires, and they do and whatever they, they please. And you know why? If you say something, you are a bigot, you are a closed-minded, you are a hater. And what we see, immorality is in all places. All places. There's no respect anymore. A level of disrespect in the society. See, when we take God out of the public eye, we took God out of the public schools, we took God out of the public arenas, and what happened is we have chaos, humanism. That's what we have. Because there's no standard anymore. We took the Ten Commandments out of places. We take everything that is godly out of places. What we get? Chaos. What, what, but what I don't understand why Christians go that way and think it's okay. I don't understand. Our duty is not to lower our standards. Our standards uh, neither make the house of, of God uh, seeker friendly. Our duty is to cons consecrate ourselves to the will of God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
We have no business changing our music. We have no business changing our preaching. We have no business lowering our standards in the Bible, our standards to attract the world to the house of God. We have no business doing that. We preach the word of God as is. We are to sing the songs of Zion. We are to love the word of God. And you know what? If they seek the Lord, let them come in and hear the word of God. Because that's what they need. That's what they need. We have no, no business making our music sound like the world in a concert here. Who we come down to? You know, so we're going to sing music to, just to appease ourselves. It makes ourselves feel good. Or we're going to sing songs to praise our God. Because ultimately, when we worship, it's for the audience of one. Amen. To God be the glory, isn't it? We get together here and we worship the Lord together. You know, a service, the worship service is not entertainment. Everyone participates. That's what it is. From the very start, when it starts, the very end, everything that is done in the service is to what the audience of one is our worship service to God. Oh, what can I get from the church? I got anything. You're wrong. You have lower your standards. See, because it's not what I can get, it's what I can give to the house of the Lord. What I can do to my Lord. And in the, in the end, we leave. When we leave, we leave blessed. We're glad we came. We go rejoicing because of what God did in His house. Our duty is to consecrate ourselves to the will of God and, and to worship Him, in, like it said, in spirit and we truth. We, in truth, we have to place the toilet totality of our being on the altar Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 and leave the growing business to him look actually go to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 this is a very popular verse but I want you to see this okay I promise you we're going to finish this tonight this part 2 of this uh, the tale of nine kings okay so look what it says I beseech you therefore Paul is saying I beg you therefore Brethren, he's talking to a bunch of people. He says, by the mercies of God, look what he says, that ye, or you, present tense, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. You know what that holy means? You set yourself apart for the service of God, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Listen, come to church, tithe, worship the Lord, work in the church, clean up. It's a reasonable service. It's not a sacrifice like, oh goodness, I'm going to die working there. No, it's not. It should be a reason sacrifice. It should be like, Lord, thank you for allowing me even to do this. Okay. Look what it says in verse 2. Talking about having a mind of the world, be not conformed to this world. You see that? Don't let the world get into you. It says, but be transformed. Look what it says. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so we have Christians who are living like the lost people of this world every day. And Sunday, praise the Lord, God is good. Tell you what, I know of a young man. You know what he does all week? He plays drums in nightclubs. That's what he does. He goes to nightclubs for nightclub and does all those drums things. He goes to the places of sin. And Sunday, he's at church. 
And God could. You say, Pastor, you might be too critical. No. Look what it says. And be not conformed to this world, but ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are places that we should just not go. I'm going to be very sincere with you. A Christian going to a bar and drink, he's lowered his standards. He have lowered his standards. He said, oh, it's just a glass. Well, after one glass comes two, comes three, comes four, before you know, you are happy as can be. You have lowered your standards. And you talk to me about alcohol, I'll show you in the Bible what God says about alcohol. We have lowered our standards. So we need to create an atmosphere on which, in which the Spirit of God can work and move and bless. As we do, we will see to it that those, that those He desires to be, to be here will get, uh, uh, will get here and the Lord will save them. So sometimes we say, oh, we have to do this and do this to get people here. You know what? God is the one building His church. We just serve the Lord. Today, churches, many churches, what they do is they're marketing people. They're called, even called. Oh, what would you like in a church? Really? So we're going to start, you know, we're going to start getting a bunch of people here in our church. We're going to get them on the phones. And you're going to start calling, do surveys and say, I'm calling from, from, from East Bay Baptist Church. What would you like us to have in our church so you can come? Or you're going to hear all kinds of things. You know, and that's what's going to, see, the, the marketing things. So, oh, let's see what people really like in the church. Listen. The Bible says, when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. God came to this world. He was nailed into a cross. He paid for our sin. He revealed himself to mankind. You know what? God gave them the choice to either come and receive him or to reject him. Right. Who are we to go and lower our standards in God's house to accommodate so we can have people come in? God's house is a house of prayer. They should understand that. So when they come in, they should know it's different. If we begin to lower the standards today, we will soon, we will soon know, uh, know uh, I mean, we will soon know difference than the, some Christians in some churches around who, that have forfeit the presence and the power of God so they might gain the popularity and praise of man. You see, what you allow in moderation today, you will, uh, you will do in excess tomorrow. The next sin that we see right here is the sin of pride. Let us see. Amaziah defeated the uh, Adamites because he obeyed the Lord. But then the Adamites defeated Amaziah when he took their gods home with him. Inflated by this great success and unconcerned about this great sin, Amaziah looked for other worlds to conquer and decided to challenge Joash, the king of Israel. Look, actually, actually go to Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 17 says, I'll read this to you, says it. Then Amaziah, the king of Judah, took advice and sent to Joash, the son of, of Jehoash, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us see one another in the face. And Joash, the king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon, Lebanon 
uh, sent to the seed that was, that was in Lebanon, saying, Give thy daughter to my son to wife. And they, and they passed it by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and throw down the thistle. Thou uh, sayest, Lo, thou art smitten, verse 19, the Edomites, and thine heart lifted thee up to boast. Abide now at home, thou showest thou, uh, thou middle to thine hurt, that thou shouldest fall even thou, and Judah with thee. And Amaziah would not hear. For it, came, for it came of God that he might deliver them into the hand of the enemies, because they saw after the gods of Edom. He does not only ignore the warning of the he not only ignored the warning of the prophet that God sent, but he forgot the words of the, the his ancestor Solomon. So actually Proverbs 12, 18, 12 says, Before destruction the heart of man is not haughty, and, and before honor is humility. So even King Joash warned him that his pride would ruin him. Chapter 4, uh, 2 Kings 14, 10. But Amaziah was, has been uh, on defeating Israel and becoming the ruler of the United Kingdom. Amaziah's problem was pride. He saw himself as a strong cedar when in reality it was only a weak thistle that could be crushed by the passing wild beast. So the true the, a true, the truly humble, humble person, I'm sorry, sees things as God sees, then it doesn't live on illusions. Let me give it this way. Pride blinds the mind, distorts the vision, and so inflates the ego that the person can tell truth, uh, uh, can tell truth from, from fiction. And this guy is, was, got prideful, and it was what happened to him. So pride doesn't fit in the heart of a Christian. Humility does. When we become prideful, we actually, do you ever see a person that is prideful have many friends? No. Prideful people walk like this. They walk with their noses up in the air, and everybody else is down below. That's the best way to say it. Well, let me give you an example here. Okay, a minor league baseball player traveling to visit his family struck in a conversation with the older gentleman sitting next to him on the plane. The rookie was pleased when, he, when, when his traveling companion expressed an interest in baseball. So the young uh, ball player began bragging about his athletic skills on the field. During the flight, the, 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 uh, the young leader boasted of his daring stolen bases and well-connected ball smack out of the park, the way he smacked out of the park, and those diving catches then turned a double, uh, a double onto an out. As the plane prepared to land, the big-talking uh, minor league uh, rookie learned that the polite gentleman who had listened so intensively was Hank Aaron, the Hall of Fame uh, farmer who's... Uh, uh, whose Major League Baseball career spent 23 years. And in humility, he was listening to this kid. Can you imagine that? You got to, just, just think about it. I know some of you like Chrissy, she doesn't watch uh, baseball. But this, guy, but this guy is a Hall of Famer. And listen to this little rookie talking about all these things. And he just politely listened to him in humility. He could have said, yo, look what I did. I played baseball for the, but... He had a heart of humility. He would just listen to a prideful young man. You know why? And that's what happened a lot of times to people. Pride 
is an elevated view of, an, of a preoccupation with self. Pride is a fault is a fault we despise in others, yet freely excuse and even justify it in ourselves. When we lower our standards of humility, pride moves right into our hearts. You follow that? When we lower our standards of humility, pride comes right in. Would you say that Jesus was humble? Is the question. Are you a humble person? See, we Christians, we should not confuse this. We're not humble and have humble hearts in a way that you think that people walk all over you. That's not what it is. It's humility, again, loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. We respect other human beings, no matter the color of their skins, no matter what language they speak. We respect them and we treat them nice and good. And we are humble. We don't, we don't think more of ourselves than others. Some people think that way. You see, when we lower our standards of humility, pride moves into our hearts. Many theologians believe that pride, not drunkenness or adultery or murder, is the deadliest of all sins. For it was pride that led Lucifer rebellions in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14. The, and the first couple attend to usurping God's authority in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. So many other sins originates from pride. Listen to God's warning against pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. One particular notable episode is the story of Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar. He begins with his boasting and, and continues with his downfall and ends with his confession. After being dully warned of his prideful nature by the prophet Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar stood in the rooftop of his palace and praised himself, saying, look what it says in Daniel chapter 4 verse 30, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the mighty of my power, and, and for the honor of my majesty, you see the pride? Right there. You know what? We need to be careful that we don't take humility aside and become prideful as this Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, look what I have built. Look at my life. Oh, look at my car. Oh, look what I have. Look at my house. Look at the clothes that I wear. I don't go to Target or we call that Walmart. I go to this store. You know what? That's pridefulness. Because if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we because everybody's different levels of society. We are kind to people. But we be, need to be careful that we don't boast about what I have. We have to say, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. And because of your blessings, I can do this and I can do that. I praise your name for it. I learned to be grateful at early age. And I always thank the Lord for everything I have. Because I tell you what, there was one time in my life when I was a teenager. This is the way we lived. And I'm not ashamed of saying that. We had, I had one pair of pants for, the, for Sunday, one pair of pants for the week. Barefooted all week long, one pair of shoes for Sunday with the holes in the bottom. That was my clothes. If you go in my closet, that's what I had. 
We were poor. We didn't have much. But I appreciate what I have because of the blessings of the Lord. But it's not me, it's God. It's God. And my heart goes to always to those who are struggling. I mean, you know, the Lord says the poor is always going to be with you. And we understand that concept. But we can help some, can't we? You are destitute and not in the same situation as we are. But see, um, immediately God judges pride. And for the next seven years, he wants uh, a monarch. He, what he did, he became, he was with the wild beasts. Amazing what God did to this man. And sometimes, you know, the Lord hit his heart, those prideful hearts of people, and break them down. So how then does one overcome the grievous sin of pride? Number one, we must understand that pride, like dangerous narcotics, is, a, is addictive and detrimental to our well-being. The more we feed pride, the firmer its grips in our hearts. Pride is a lensome garment that is not easy shed and is deceitful. Those who, those who, who think they have already achieved humility are probably mistaken. So one, once we admit that pride has a foothold in our lives, we confess it and we forsake it. Once we have that the confess the sin of pride, the Holy Spirit can begin correcting our faults and molding us to be more like Jesus. Just as the minor league baseball player learned the lesson on humility after boasting to Hank Aaron, he will understand the folly of foolishness of pride by comparing and contrasting ourselves to our Creator. Let me put it this way. Number two about pride. To overcome pride, we must remember, as the psalmist did, our condition before Christ's salvation. Luke says in Psalm chapter 40, verse 2, He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry, miry clay, and set my face upon a rock, and established my goings. If we look at Jesus, we say, Thank you, Lord, for saving me. That should cause us to be very humble. Very humble. You know what? When I was first asked, Pastor Sam Strickland said to me, are you saved? And I look at him, I said, I I'm sorry, sir. I don't try to be disrespectful to you. This was my, my living room. I said, this, I said, I'm not lost. I didn't understand what he was talking about. I'm not lost. How could I say, you ask if I'm saved? I'm in my home. And he smiled. He knew that I didn't get it. I, didn't, I never heard it before. I did not understand. What do you mean I, if I'm saved? Of course I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm not lost. I'm not, I'm not in danger. But when I understood what that meaning of the word, and he was talking spiritual senses, when I understood, even today I still thank my God for my salvation. Amen. It gives me a sense of humility. I cannot save myself. Only prideful people can say that. I take care of myself. When I die, I'm going to heaven. I tell God to move over because I'm moving in. That's pridefulness. Right. Isn't that what they say? I'm okay. I'm all set. I don't need God. I'm all set. When I die, I'm going to heaven because I deserve. That's pridefulness. Pridefulness will not enter heaven. Number three, to overcome pride, we must praise the Lord, not self. Pride is, 
is to our detriment. Humility is for the greater good. Perhaps a final component of a common pride is a sincere, heartfelt desire for humility. Listen, we don't praise ourselves. We praise the Lord. Listen, if you come to me and say, Pastor, good message. I don't say, oh, thank you very much. I don't say that. I say, praise God. You, you always say, hear me say that because you know what? I'll put it like this. He gave me the message. He gave me the thought. That's why I say to people, you want my message? I give it to you. It's not mine to keep. The Lord gave it to me. I give it to you. You want to preach it somewhere else? Take it. I'll print it out for you. I don't think we should put a price tag on this stuff. It's God's word. It's God's work. To overcome pride, we must praise the Lord, not self. And I tell you what, if we praise ourselves, we are lowering our standards. We are. Oh, we finally come into the conclusion of this message. <laughs> Biblical standards are non-negotiable. You, get, you, get, you hear that? Biblical standards are non-negotiable. Because God's standards of holiness are non-negotiable. In other words, God is not going to lower His standards because of the decay of society. The standard of Judah began to, to, to come down as the king stopped comparing themselves to King David. So they began to lower their standards to fit the society around them. Tonight, we look at one of the nine kings, both in Judah. Uh, I mean, we looked at one of the nine kings. Uh, this one is in Judah. So there were kings on which lowered their standards, uh, the ones in Israel, of faith to embrace the standards of society. You can make people more faithful by lowering the standards of faith. If we think like, if we lower our st the standards of our church and we think people are going to be more faithful, uh, it's not going to happen. Listen, I can't, I can't live your life. You cannot live my life. I, 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 can't, I don't have your standards. You don't have my standards. But it's one thing. Collectively, collectively as a church, we should have our standards. And we do here at the church. But individually, we should have our standards. And our standards are not negotiable. Listen, King James Bible is my Bible that I preach and teach. I'm not lowering my standards. There's no other Bible. That's the Bible I preach and teach from. Amen. You're, talking about, you're talking about the basic uh, doctrines of the faith. I don't lower my standards. Yes, Jesus was born of a virgin. I don't lower that. You follow that? Jesus is God Almighty. Yes, Emmanuel, God with us. I don't lower my standards. Right. And see, if we lower those standards, we are in... We, we, we're going to get in, in, into hard times. This pulpit right here is not for politics and comedy. It's to preach the word of God. Amen. That's our standards. Right. If we lower our standards, like I see, especially we in election year, I see politicians, politicians in, in churches, right in their pulpits. Really? Those politicians never show up at church. And you go and give them the pulpit to talk, you're lowering your standards. You cannot make people more faithful by lowering the standards at church. You can't. You see, is, ancient Israel wasn't much different from society today. Now one king of Israel encourages people to repent and seek the Lord. You know, folks, the decay of society is going to continue. 
And I close up with this, that the chaos society is going to continue to go down. It's not going to get better. What about God's people? Are we going with the current? Are we going to stand and say, this is my standards. I'm not going to lower my standards. I'm going to stand up even if I do it alone, but I'm not going to lower my standards. Help me, God, on this one. That's what we should do. But many are not doing. They're going with the current. Whatever the society goes, they go right along with it. When the why, churches are half empty today. Folks, it's not just here. It's all over the country. It was God's people. What happened when COVID came about? Why most people left churches because of COVID? They lowered their standards. They used the excuse. Never came back. They have lowered their standards. Oh, I don't need God. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read the Bible. Look at those people. Those people are living, living great, doing great. They don't, they don't go to church. They don't, they don't need God. Look at the way they do it. You see that? They have lowered their standards. You know what Asaph said? When I look into the world, look what they're doing. They're getting richer and doing this and doing that. But he said, but when I went to the house of the Lord, then I understood their ends. You see, we lower our standards to fit, to fit the, the, the care of society. And we don't have love, like the Bible says. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. We don't have love enough to reach them and say, listen, you're going to hell when you die. Let me tell you the truth. You need salvation. We lower our standards and we don't care. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this passage of Scripture as we finish part two of the tale of nine kings. I pray, Father, Lord, bless each person here tonight in a very special way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.